This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Ever wonder about the stories of the women around you? We wanted to create an intentional space for women to share the wisdom they have gained through life experiences. Tune in to be in awe of some of the Wonder Woman in our midst. Wondering Woman on ORFM Dunedin. Kia ora and welcome back to our next episode of Wondering Women. I am your host for today, Linnea, and with me is a special guest, Rachel, Rachel Toombs. Um, and yeah, it's really cool to have you here. Kia ora. Thanks, Linnea. I am happy to be here and, and hear where this conversation goes. Yeah, it's exciting. Always fun to have new people on and different, different people every time. Um, so... I know Rachel through a unique club, but tell us a bit about yourself, Rachel. What do you, who are you, what do you do? (laughs) Um, Yeah, cool. So my name's Rachel Toomes. I uh, grew up in Belfast in Northern Ireland and um, lived there until I was 18 when uh, my parents and um, my brother and I moved uh, here to Otipoti to um, New Zealand. And um, I studied at the university here, got involved um, with the student Christian movement uh, where I met you, Linnea, and um, now have finished studying at university. I um, did history, uh, BA, and then a master's in history, and um, now working at the Red Cross. And really delighted to stay in Dunedin because I I really like it here. High praise for Dunedin. Oh, that's awesome. You've lived a very like multicultural life, I would say. Um, How did you find the, I guess, the transition from Ireland to New Zealand when you moved, um, especially at 18, which is sort of, I guess, sort of, you know, you kind of get more established, I find, when you're older, you know, especially if you've been in one place for a while to then move. How was that? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's quite a strange time to move with your parents. Uh, yeah. I always thought of myself as someone who would um, be leaving home after I finished high school and um, live, you know, somewhere different from my parents, do something um, new and then go back to visit them every so yeah. often. Um, <laughs> and I kind of had a bit of a plan for myself. I had studied Russian at school, so I wanted to study Russian at university um, and history, which I did end up studying. Um, But then there were some various changes happening in the UK um, around higher education, especially around uh, fees. And I had (laughs) been to visit lots of universities um, in the UK, and I wasn't totally like picturing myself and my life in any of them and so when my parents um, moved or you know um, when we decided all together to move to New Zealand um, I thought oh that's um, that could be one option and the idea was I would um, stay with them here for a year and then go back and um, study in the UK where I had a um, place at a university on hold and um, once I came here I found it 
challenging and um, difficult to at that stage in my life be away from kind of everything I knew the friends that yeah. I had the community that I had all of the things that I was involved with in um, Belfast but then in other ways it was what I what I had anticipated that I would be moving away I didn't think I would um, be doing it with my parents but <laughs> it was a, yeah. di- a different kind of adventure I guess and um, I think especially when you're 18, you are looking around and everyone already has their friendship groups and everyone's mm. already kind of got, um, you know, this is a university town. People had um, kind of groups of friends that they were going to go and flat with and all of those things. And so um, it's quite tricky to, to arrive at a, new, at a New Zealand university and no absolutely nobody there's there's no one here from my high school so I'm kind of starting from square one and that was um, really a challenge for me yeah yeah friendships are I mean they're kind of always challenging but definitely being new in a place where most people know at least some other people is really difficult um how did you kind of go about making friends then what was your strategy (laughs) Yeah, I think so. I got, I arrived in New Zealand in August and I enrolled for university um, to begin at the end of February. So that period of uh, six months was probably uh, one of the more lonely periods of life Mm -hmm. that I had gone from um, a place where I knew lots of people and, um, you know, I had spent some of that. past couple of months on holidays with friends and um, kind of traveling with um, the people closest to me and then found myself (laughs) kind of um, the weekend would come and pretty much only knew my parents to hang out with (laughs) and um, you know other people it was uh, coming up to the end of the school year in New Zealand so other people had their own (laughs) their own things going on Um, so definitely that was a time which was really challenging for me I think I tried to get involved in lots of things. And by the time my university year came around, I realized I had signed up for enough things if I wasn't doing any study or work, but yeah. too many things once I was in full-time <laughs> study. Yes. And so that there was a bit of a peeling back process. But, you know, I was really appreciative to the um, different community organizations that existed in Dunedin. I um, showed up at church, at Knox Church, and um, met some mm-hmm. people there. I got involved in the student Christian movement and um, met some people there who were interested in kind of the intersection between Christianity and social justice. So that was something which was really um, lively and and fun for me. I um, volunteered at a secondhand shop and met so many wonderful people there um, and kind of even though – hopefully they won't mind me saying this there wasn't that many people who were at my age and stage of life (laughs) there it was still really lovely to have company and I guess Mm. just uh kind of appreciating um making making connections that were different from the ones that you had planned that um I don't know what I had imagined for myself arriving in this new place and um you know, making lots of friends my age, but that's not what happened in the first (laughs) instance. It was kind of just um, making some connections in the community um, before 
then when I started university, sort of uh, six months later, um, being able to make uh, some more friends that were um, closer to my own age, yeah. <laughs> but still really appreciating the um, kind of conversation and um, connection with others that I have met through volunteering. Yeah. Yeah, I've, that's really interesting because I've definitely found that like being having friendships and connections with older people has been really good in like stages of my life where I've been kind of similar to you, a bit lonely, a bit lost. Um, but yes, it is also really nice to have friends your own age. Um, that's cool. Yeah, uni is is interesting that way, I think. Um, but that's where the clubs are so good for getting to know people. Um, could you tell us a bit about Student Christian Movement, like what it is and I guess what your involvement was in it? Um, just so people listening kind of have an idea. Yeah, so SCM was, I believe, the first or one of the first uh, Christian groups on Otago University campus. And yeah. um, from it was 1896 and from that time uh, kind of dedicating itself to being a uh, a progressive uh, Christian movement. So um, that word a little bit um, kind mm-hmm. of, yeah, could be understood differently um, yeah. and maybe not the most helpful word sometimes, but I guess the focus on um, social justice, uh, focus on um, kind of seeing justice and peace in the world around us, yeah. um, always looking out. So beyond, um, beyond what's happening in our own um, kind of, world but what's happening way way um, far away and thinking because the student christian movement has branches in lots of different countries around the world and thinking about what's happening globally to students in indonesia or kenya Mm -hmm. or um whatever wherever it is and then the other thing that's um really special about sem is um that focus on student leadership so um it's always been an organization which has wanted to develop a student voice and um, be led by students on what students are interested in. Yeah. Um, and that kind of comes with our uh, previous slogan, historical slogan, um, the Bible in one hand and a critic in the other. Um, and <laughs> oh, so yeah. that's a bit of a twist on um previously saying the Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. So Uh, focusing um, on our faith, on the world, but also on um, what it means to be students always learning. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I feel like I had heard that that was the slogan, but I don't know if I, that's good. I like it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's, and it's really important, I think as well to have those kind of groups um, as, as young people who are stepping out into the world and, you know, having to decide how we want our faiths to look um, and seeing all the things going on in the world and wondering, you know, where is, where is my faith in all of this? Um, but yeah, so what else? Um, so you've been involved, how long have you been a part of Student Christian Movement? I think I went to my first um, AGM. That was like the first meeting I attended <laughs> was the AGM in 2015, which was sort of a month after I arrived yeah. in, in New Zealand. Mm. And I guess um, for me, I had had a really positive experience of being involved in the church growing up. Mm. Um, so when 
I was um, new in Dunedin. I kind of considered the church as one of the places where I'm sure there's someone there who yeah. um, will welcome and um, chat with me and kind of, I'm sure they'll, I'm sure I'll find a friendly face yeah. um, through there, which is obviously not everyone's experience, but um, I was fortunate that that was the case, that that yeah. was where I was able to start building connections and um, SEM kind of bringing in that um, sense of, Yes, uh, of activism and and justice, yeah. which has been an interest for me um, yeah. for a long time. Yeah. Would you say you grew up with uh, that? Were you kind of raised with that interest in, in in social justice in relation to your faith? Yeah. Um, it's it's always been a quite inseparable part of mm. faith for me is kind of faith and justice. Yeah. And I think um, part of it is growing up in, in Northern Ireland. And so um, mm. living in a place where faith had been weaponized and yeah. um, communities were um, segregated and um, subjected to violence because of um, not even having a different religion, but having a different, um, <laughs> just having a different yeah. denomination um, within a religion and um, seeing, yes, I guess seeing the the pain that can be caused when, when we use faith in that way. And then kind of the reverse of that is seeing the possibility when we use faith in a way which um, can create positive transformational change yeah. um, in our society. And um, it's, I guess this would be <laughs> um, for a bit of background on me um, might be helpful to know that oh, um, it's always been like throughout my family history it's been a part of the story so um mm. on my mum's side um there's ministers pretty much in every generation and um thinking particularly of my grandfather who um was a minister in in the u.s in the east coast of the u.s and um marched with martin luther king wow. um, many times and and um, would tell us about that those times when we were children um so to hear about kind of then also my grandma who um in her faith was um marching for abortion rights in the 70s um and um, seeing that kind of be part of the conversation that um dedicated church people um want access to want everyone to have access to abortion and um kind of equal rights so thinking about those um parts of my family story on my dad's side um I have family members who uh, were conscientious objectors and um pacifists and and just kind of um their faith was never separated from those decisions. Mm. It was, it was at the center of those decisions and being able to um, continue that, I guess, in, in small ways in my own yeah. life to think about how proud I am of those parts of our family history um, and being able to, to see what that looks like now in, in the 2020s for yeah. me. Oh, that's such a cool legacy. I've heard like bits of some of those stories, but that's really cool to hear them all kind of laid out there and so inspiring um to hear that you know people have always you know seen faith and social justice as inseparable um but yeah that's that sounds like it was a really and still is really formative kind of family legacy I guess and very cool to be able to bring it to like continue it um oh what was I gonna ask I had something in my head and then I forgot um Oh, do you get people that 
because I find people will be like, well, you know, but kind of basically, I can't think of the question specifically, but like have the idea of like, you know, well, you can't really, you either have to be like a very devoted Christian who's like prays a lot or you have to be involved in social justice and you can't somehow do both. Um, what you've, I mean, you've already kind of mentioned it, but like, what do you, what is your response when people sort of show that assumption? I think part of the lesson um, that I learned growing up is this kind of willingness to admit our own complicity in all of the, mm. all of the things happening in the world around us. So um, I grew up as a member of the Corimela community. Um, so uh, kind of as a child and a teenager um, working on issues of peace and reconciliation um, happening around me, but also just having fun with, um, yeah. with the young people who were, <laughs> who were part of that um, community yeah. in Northern Ireland. And could you sorry, give the, a quick background on what that is just to make Yeah. Sure. So um, it is a community on the North coast of Ireland um, called Corimila, where um, the intention is to be a meeting place, a neutral ground um, for different groups to meet and um, through dialogue and uh, being with each other uh, through, through prayer, through enjoyment and um, yes. the, the beach and the, and the waves and the hills and um, everything yes. around you um, be able to actually uh, meet in a way where you can come to peaceful reconciliation with each other. Um, so it works <laughs> with all different groups. Um, the community works with a whole range of groups, but kind of originally founded um, as a place for Catholics and Protestants to yeah. um, kind of, be disarmed from from the environment and and set down uh, kind of the the barriers which the communities that we live in might present and and yeah. be able to kind of look at one another and and work together on things. Um, and one of the things that was taught there uh, is that we're all part of the brokenness. That yeah. um, not one not one of us is separate from the issues that are mm. around us. And um, because of different aspects of our lives um of our family legacies of uh whatever it is uh some of us um have more responsibility for different parts of it than others um and recognizing our own our own entanglement with the mm. with the problems of the world um also allowing us to um feel empowered that we can that we can change that that we were part of causing this problem and we can be part of um transforming it and yeah. um, making it into something new and beautiful and so I think that perspective allows you to go into uh, any kind of idea of our Christianity and social justice don't meet um, any kind of backlash or anything like that you kind of can recognize where that criticism is coming from, right? Mm -hmm. That um, the church as much as, um, as, as much as anything and probably more um, is definitely part of the brokenness yeah. and, and the trouble that's being caused. And um, in Belfast, you'll, you'll see that um, pretty visibly all around yeah. you, how much the church has been part of the brokenness. Um, so knowing that changes the way that you then kind of think of yourself as, yeah. um, you're you're not a miracle changer, and, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and um, yep, you're coming with 
with some baggage. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that does help me kind of feel a little bit um, more, I guess, less defensive from those yeah. uh, perspectives. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think about it a little bit sometimes about kind of um, within social justice uh, work coming out as Christian, um, because that's how separated the church and yeah. um, kind of social <laughs> is, change has been. <laughs> the church has such a, uh, a weak voice at the moment on issues yeah. of social justice. And um, you look at our, at our history. And uh, so, for example, for my master's, I looked at the criminalization of marital rape. And um, there were heaps of churches and religious groups that um, spoke on both sides. Um, But to be able to also read the submissions of churches and and religious people who um, had really strong conviction about why marital rape needed to be criminalized immediately, um, Mm. despite knowing that their history and the um, teachings within the Bible were kind of the foundation for setting that law in motion and thinking about the kind of um, strength of those social justice voices that existed in our church previously. Um, It's not, it's not impossible to (laughs) marry the two. Yeah. I think your point about um, not being defensive or, you know, recognizing kind of the collective responsibility is really important because I feel like a lot of the discourse I see around church harm feels to me like it's um, kind of like damage control like we've got to get the people in to make sure that we still look good even though we know that we've done these things that are hurtful and that have broken relationships as opposed to like being like yeah (laughs) this is this is the reality and we're not going to try and make ourselves look good and thank goodness that we don't have to like you know, try and keep up our walls of like beautiful, perfect church. And we can actually just be out here in the rubble, like learning how to fix it together. Yeah, I think that's cool. I think some of the like cheesy, you know, one-liners around um, church is not a museum of saints, but a hospital for (laughs) sinners. Like I think some of that stuff's actually quite helpful, like thinking about it in that way. And Mm -hmm. um, if, if others around us who are not um, interested um, or have kind of negative experiences of church, um, if they're able to kind of see us thinking of ourselves that way, then that might make yeah. a difference too. Yeah, because then it's not like they have to fight to be heard in terms of like, or believed, I guess, right? If, if we're the first to say, yeah, we've messed up and people don't have to come in with like a sort of fighting stance of you need to recognize it which is like totally fair yeah but, um, yeah I I um enjoy those conversations when someone's going all in on um kind of all the terrible things the church have done and um you're with a group of practicing Christians who are like oh yeah and you forgot about this one and this yeah. one no seriously yeah. like yeah it's bad <laughs> There's more, but wait, you, <laughs> did you know we're doing this too? Um, yeah. So, yeah. I, it's interesting though, like one of the things that I've learned from my dad, who's um, works in public theology and um, 
has been working on kind of I guess where the church intersects with uh, the the role that the church has on yeah. um, some of the issues around us in the world. And um, one of the things that he's taught me is that the church is one of the first places people go to help. And so in situations mm-hmm. much more serious than um, me arriving in Dunedin and feeling lonely, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, the church is a place where people are seeking, seeking help yeah. and maybe, um, maybe not so, so much in, uh, the country that we live in, but all around the world. Um, if something terrible has happened to you, uh, your priest or your elder is going to be one of the first yeah. people you call. So that kind of level of responsibility and um, capacity that we have then as a church to change things yeah. and to be the best support that we can be for people who are coming up to us. Yeah. yeah, to be responsible wielders of the responsibility, I guess. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has all been excellent and I would love to keep talking, but we are very rapidly coming up the end of our time. Um, and as people who are listening, perhaps if you are, if you've listened to one of our episodes before, you know that we always finish with uh, the same question. And this, this year, our question is what does flourishing look like for you? Um, and that could be practical or kind of more like, you know, in your, in your sort of the way it feels for you or whatever. But um, yeah, what does flourishing look like for you, Rachel? There's so many, there's so many things got, like kind of coming up in um, this conversation with you about uh, places where there's pain and places mm-hmm. where uh, change needs to happen and um it would be great to see society transformed. And so to do all of that would be exhausting. And I don't think that would be (laughs) flourishing to throw yourself into all of those things. But I think allowing others who are doing that work to feel really supported while choosing some things yourself to dig your heels into and feel supported in that, that kind of, um, we all have a little piece to chip away at and how do we really support and uplift people who are doing great stuff on climate or Mm. decolonization or um, gender equality while we also feel supported in, in the work that we're doing on, on something else because it's all part of one big picture. And so that's, that's kind of um, individual flourishing, but mostly collective flourishing. Yeah. Wow, thank you. And those two are always so linked, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's all it's all together in the community and um yeah. I think Dunedin has a lot of capacity to be a uh, um community that flourishes in yeah. um both uh individual uh kind of being able to be totally themselves in Dunedin as well as um, as a community and as a collective yeah. uh, being a really wholesome place to live. And so I hope that we keep working towards that. Yeah. That is a, a very good, I guess, vision to have for our, our community and where we live. Um, and thank you so much for coming and letting me interview you. And I've really enjoyed this conversation. Um, and I'm sure we can have more like it Um, but yeah thank you so much and to everyone listening we will be back in another fortnight with another episode 
Um, and in the meantime, stay safe and have a good fortnight. Takite. Ever wonder about the stories of the women around you? We wanted to create an intentional space for women to share the wisdom they have gained through life experiences. Tune in to be in awe of some of the Wonder Woman in our midst. Wondering Woman on ORFM Dunedin, 10 a.m. Sundays, replayed 6.30 Wednesdays. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.